0: This is Bold Dominion, an explainer for state politics in a changing Virginia. I'm
1: Nathan Moore. There's a lot of turgid expertise that goes into knowing how the rules work, who can vote on what, how to change things, how to put in language that shifts the policy your way.
2: So if there's something that the majority just doesn't really want to deal with, they have plenty of ways to just avoid it altogether.
3: Virginia's General Assembly has um, a number of rules and traditions that are not designed to empower the legislature, to encourage citizen engagement, and I think that, you know, that's a big part of what called me into this service.
0: Well, these are some of our regular voices here on Bold Dominion. Sally Hudson is a new House delegate representing the Charlottesville area's 57th District. We'll hear more from her later in the show. Before that, Graham Mumal, state politics reporter at the Virginia Mercury, and Peter Galaska, longtime journalist here in Virginia. Each week on Bold Dominion, I'm going to lean on these folks and others to help explain one big topic. This week, that big topic is the General Assembly itself. We're about a week into the 2020 session, and it's a good time to figure out, how does the Assembly actually work? If you've tuned into this podcast, I figure you know the basics of how Congress works, or at least the Schoolhouse Rock version. Lawmakers from across the state show up in Richmond, they propose bills, those bills get voted up or down, and if the bills pass, they go to the governor's desk, where he can sign them into law or veto them.
2: But it's a little more complicated than that. So the real, um, real meat of the state policymaking process happens in the legislative committees and subcommittees. Graham Mumaw is
0: a state politics reporter at the Virginia Mercury. That's a nonprofit online news organization covering
2: state government and policy. This session is a 60 day session, and there's going to be thousands and thousands of bills. A tiny fraction of those are going to actually get onto the House floor, the Senate floor for a vote by the whole body. So the committee process is where everything really begins, and the vast majority of bills will probably won't make it through the committees by the time something gets to the floor. Typically, it's probably going to pass. You know, the markup all happens in committee, so any issues have usually been ironed out with the number of bills and the, the short time frame that lawmakers have to get through them all. Um, it's kind of just a madhouse where everybody separates into these smaller groups. And so it's kind of a sprint for the 60 day session. The floor votes then
0: almost seem like they're, they're more like political performance and less actual deliberation.
2: Right. So once, once something gets to the floor, um, they have to, there has to be three readings before it's final passage So usually what happens is the patron will stand up and give a very brief explanation of here's what the bill does. Um, And if it's something very contentious, there will be, you know, back and forth and speeches and, but usually the vote is, is well known in advance how it's going to turn out. Um, And a lot of the stuff that gets to the floor, you know, there's a lot of just very technical changes to state law that aren't necessarily political. Um and a lot of that stuff will pass in a block vote um, if they know that there's no need to spend a lot of time on it. But when a really hot button issue like you know guns or abortion or something like that um, gets to the floor, you know there's there's usually a lot of speechifying that goes on.
0: I- in some ways, the the a lot. I mean, if you've got twenty seven hundred bills already, it clearly a lot has started well before the actual session. Um, yeah. You know, how much is already sort of set in motion, and if not decided, all but decided before things even start.
2: I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of conversations um, uh, between lawmakers about what the agenda is going to be, um, who's going to have what bill, um, but there's a lot of overlap too. You know several different Democrats might put in the same idea and have minor differences in their in their bills. And a lot of times those will get ironed out in the committee process. So committees will take up, for instance, all the bills dealing with background checks on guns. And they'll kind of hammer out everything um, on that one issue. And a lot of bills will get sort of rolled into one. They'll take the best pieces of each one um, and get it into shape, something that everybody agrees is Uh, the best version they can get. Are are committee assignments
0: the most important thing for a lawmaker? Um, Yeah, they're pretty significant.
2: You know, everybody kind of has the thing that they're passionate about. So if you don't get a a committee assignment that you really want, that can be a bummer. Danica Rome, she's a pretty well-known member of the House of Delegates. She ran for office um, all about fixing, you know, traffic congestion in her district in Prince William County. And then when she got down here under the Republican control, she really wanted to be on the transportation committee, but she didn't get it. So, you know, this issue that she's talked up to her constituents and promised to go down to Richmond and work mainly on this thing, um, she kind of can't really do that in a, in a meaningful way without being on the transportation committee. She can still put in transportation related bills, um, but then she's just sort of presenting them in that committee, but she's not sitting on the committee and she doesn't really have a vote on her bill. So if it dies in committee, that's, that's the end of it.
0: Yeah, that's actually sort of a good segue into my next sort of line of thinking here. You know, Virginia has this system where where the majority party really does call all the shots. I mean, right. Republicans had that majority in both houses for almost all of the last decade. Um, and, yep. and they use that committee structure to, it seems like, to, to snuff out a lot of bills that Democrats presented, certainly before those bills even got to a floor vote. Um, right. How how do they do that?
2: They do it because they can pretty much. The, the Senate Senate Republicans have been seen in the past as more moderate. So a lot of times, you know, um, bills will pass out of the Senate with bipartisan support. And even though the Senate Republicans are on board with it, um, if the House Republicans don't like it, they can just kind of let it let it die a slow death in their chamber. Um Last last session, there were a bunch of LGBT, a couple LGBTQ rights bills that um, passed out of the state senate with bipartisan support, but they just never got a hearing in a house committee. Um, so if there's something that that the majority just doesn't really want to deal with, they have plenty of ways to just avoid it altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and a lot of times they'll use the committees to keep things off the floor if they don't want all their members to have to vote on it. And usually that means an actual recorded vote in the committee, but sometimes it can just, they'll just say, we ran out of time, you know, we didn't get to take up that bill, sorry, you can bring it back next year. Are there, what What can a minority party
0: in, in a Virginia House or Senate even really do? I mean, this is a question Democrats had to try and figure out the last decade, but now the Republicans are trying to figure out what a minority party can do.
2: So there's there's really two things there's a lot of things you can do for your constituents that aren't necessarily political, you know, but then there's this whole separate sort of class of bills. That's just sort of staking out a position of what you believe in. So you put, you can put in the bill and you can go give a speech in front of the committee explaining why you think it's a good idea. But you know, a lot of the times, if you're in the minority, you're under no illusions that your bill is going to pass. It's just kind of a way to signal to the folks back home that you're fighting the good fight and, Stating, you know, what's important to you.
0: Graham Mumaw of the Virginia Mercury, online at virginiamercury.org. So the committee process, there's still something about it that feels like uh, alchemy. You've got an idea for something, you draft it up, it goes to committees. Maybe it comes out on the other side turned into gold. But how does this actually function?
1: Well, it's first off, there's a lot of um, kind of turgid expertise, if you want to put it that way, that goes into knowing how the rules work who can vote on what, how to change things, how to put in language that, that shifts the policy your way. And there are people who are masters at this, especially people who've been there for years and really know how to do it.
0: Peter Galask is a journalist who has covered Virginia news and politics for four decades.
1: And that's where it comes from. I mean, it's really key is writing the language for the bills and you know, whether the language is clear or not clear, whether it's explicit or not. And that's, that's how it works. And it's pretty complicated. I don't quite understand it myself.
0: The idea, I think, that, that some of us have is this, like, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. You know, you it's like, oh, I love this bill. This is important to me. I'm going to stand up and give an impassioned speech. But that's really, it's not that, that uh, a lawmaker necessarily has that impassioned speech that they feel compelled to give. It's, it's really part of a theater production, almost.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, that's a great movie, and it still has a lot of truth in it. And the thing I always liked about that that film was the, the cynicism that you had, this kind of comedy and cynicism at the same time. Mm-hmm. And but no, that's that's what happens. And there is honest drama sometimes where you, people really do come from honestly from different positions and clash, and they're both trying, say, to represent their constituents who might have different views on things.
0: Mm-hmm. In the General Assembly, then, um, you know, the, how much of The policies that get proposed and and eventually passed comes from the party itself? How much come from people on the ground, new lawmakers and and veteran lawmakers, you know, really pushing, pushing new things?
1: Well, that's a great question, because a lot of times a lot of the, the laws are actually written or drafted originally by lobbyists. And so they come in, they draft the law, and and, and it's not to put them down because a lot of lobbyists are actually very effective and very important because they really understand, say, an industry or a trade group or a group of teachers or whatever. They know the issues very well. Now, what really gets extreme um, is something like Alex, which is an American Legislative Exchange Council, which was set up by the Koch brothers to promote free market, conservative, um, you know, pro-fossil fuel views. They would send pre-printed templates of laws to legislatures throughout the country and expect everyone to pass the same law. And it's just fill in the blanks kind of thing uh, from their point of view. And that to me is really kind of suspect.
3: Virginia ranks among the top states in the country for boilerplate legislation submitted on behalf of, of national lobbying groups.
0: That's Sally Hudson, freshman lawmaker from Charlottesville, representing the 57th House District. She was elected in November to fill the seat of David Toscano, who just retired. But hang tight for a minute. We're going to hear more from Sally Hudson in the second half of the show. Listening to Bold Dominion, an explainer about state politics in our changing Virginia. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and wherever fine podcasts are served. Learn more and subscribe, BoldDominion.org. Bold Dominion is a member of the Virginia Audio Collective, a group of podcasts based at WTJU 91.1 FM, VirginiaAudio.org. Well, let's get back to Sally Hudson, Virginia delegate representing the Charlottesville area.
3: So I think the most important thing to know about the Virginia General Assembly is that we are a citizen legislature. So that means that all of the delegates and senators are part-time. We all have jobs back in our home districts and we serve for a very short window each year. The Virginia General Assembly only runs for eight weeks in the long years and six weeks in the short years. So it's a real breakneck sprint. Now that has some good features to it. It means that it tends to to dissuade people from being career politicians where this is their only gig you know we all have a life back home and since we're living back in our districts full time we stay in touch with our constituents and the idea there is that it you know it really helps us stay grounded in our communities and and make sure that we bring that voice with us to richmond Um, on the flip side That does mean that the General Assembly moves too fast for a lot of careful deliberation from the legislature. And when you kneecap the legislature in that way, it doesn't mean that less work gets done. It just means it gets done by the people who get to do it full time. So in Virginia, we've got a really powerful executive branch and we've got a super powerful lobbying corps because they're the ones with the time and the money to be working on legislation year round. So if you know if we're really only full time for eight weeks, a lot of the people who are doing the careful drafting of the bills are the paid lobbyists, uh, you know, the industry lobbyists, the corporate lobbyists, who in many cases are literally writing legislation themselves and then dropping it on some delegate's desk and saying, "Hey, could you file this for me?" Um, and that means that Virginia ranks among the top states in the country for boilerplate legislation submitted on behalf of of national lobbying groups you can actually tell these days we've gotten so good at at digitizing the written word that um so there was a great um project done by ProPublica i think and and Mm -hmm. published by usa today where they they digitized all of the bills that had passed through all of the state legislatures around the country and then identified the chunks of text that were popping up consistently in chamber to chamber and identified virginia as one of the states with the most template bills pulled from big national organizations. And I think it's in large part because our assembly moves so fast that we don't do a lot of bill writing in the moment. You know, Virginia's General Assembly is really not a deliberative body. We are passing reviewing two or three thousand bills in eight weeks, which means there's simply not time to really workshop all of them in the moment.
0: That's industrial scale.
3: Yeah, it really is. It's it's like drinking from a fire hose and then some. A lot of what we're doing is casting up or down votes, you know, tweaking and tightening here and there. Uh, but the real work of the General Assembly is done during the off season. Yeah. When we have time to do the research and the writing and building the stakeholder communities to have a, a well wrought piece of legislation.
0: See, so, yeah, I remember when I, you know, I've only been in Virginia about nine years now, not quite, and and I only started paying attention to the General Assembly, you know, um, some years after that, and and when I first started looking at it, it was kind of like. You know, you say, oh, the, the General Assembly is doing its thing. Let's call our lawmakers and make sure they vote us the way we want them to, you know, that kind of thing. But it's it's almost like by the time the session comes, it's almost just performance at times, it feels like. Maybe that's over, overstating it, but. No,
3: you know. I mean, it, it, the system definitely empowers people who play the inside baseball. Like, you have to know that the General Assembly is coming. It starts in early January, but if you don't have your act together to start supporting a bill in November or December, the odds that it's actually going to make it through are really low because of the speed and the pace that we operate at. So, um, you know, for a lot of times, a, a citizen's first experience with the General Assembly is hearing that it's coming in the news and then showing up in Richmond to see their representative maybe three or four weeks in, and then learning that it's already halfway done and watching something that they care about a lot die and then having to kind of lick your wounds in the off season and come back prepared next fall to do it again. So if you're kind of just tuning into the General Assembly now keep an eye on how fast it moves and, and you'll get a sense of how um, you, know, you, really, you really have to be prepped up front in order to navigate the gauntlet that is the General Assembly.
0: So it's January now, but, but if somebody's listening to this in like July, uh how would they i mean what, what should you do then i mean is there somebody you can call somebody you can say hey i really want this this is the thing i care about this is the thing i passionate about virginia needs to go this direction I mean, what's the citizen way in
3: so my strong hope is that there will be somebody listening to this in july because that <laughs> is the perfect time to, t- to talk to contact your state legislator you know the off season especially in the summer is a great time to start sitting down and saying hey this is really interesting to me and to start pulling together the pieces that you need to pass a bill you know the the schoolhouse rocks version of how a bill becomes a law isn't really the whole story you know you need the bill to be written and you you know you need it to get all the votes that it needs but there is a lot of refining that happens to a piece of legislation a lot of vetting it with various stakeholders you know folks that may be concerned about this or that provision and so if you can start initiating the process in the summer that gives you plenty of time to do the wordsmithing to run different drafts behind beyond different groups and 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 get their read you know i think that that's one of the really cool things about engaging in the legislative process is it gives you an opportunity to meet folks from all walks of life who will have different angles on a bill. You know, no, no matter how well-intentioned your bill is, there's always going to be some wrinkle of it that affects some people that you haven't thought about before. You know, some some business that relies on you know the you know the way that that piece operates, or some family that's going to be affected. And so, if you if you get your ducks in a row early, it gives you a time to run it up the flagpole with a lot of different groups and say, hey, how do you feel about this? How would you this affect your life? Mm-hmm.
0: I saw in the papers here that you have introduced a bill to uh, give localities uh, the say over whether they keep Confederate statues or not. To help me track how that, that process works, introducing that bill and then like where it goes from here.
3: Yeah, so that's a bill that's super important to our community here in Charlottesville. Um, currently in Virginia State Code, um, localities can put up war memorials, but they can't take them down. And that's a challenge for us because, of course, we have Confederate monuments here that have been the site of really acute pain and violence for our community and also part of, of the ongoing mythology of white supremacy that pops up, props up um, so much of, of Virginia history. And so our community voted now three years ago um, to take down those statues and to decide that we're going to celebrate our history in a different way. But because of the state code, we can't do that. So the, the concrete legislative provision that we can introduce to change that is to modify the state code to specify that, sure, localities can erect statues, but they can also decide what they do with them over the long haul. They can move them, they can modify them, they can recontextualize them, their local property, and that means that you know, city councils and county boards can decide what you do. So um, that's the Charlottesville version of the story is that we would like that local authority but lots of communities all across Virginia have their own version of the story, too. Um, the city of Norfolk has a statue that they um, would like to, to take down and move into Confederate cemetery. The city of Alexandria has statues that, that they would also like to, to reposition. And so now that we're taking all of those stories into to Richmond... It's not just about how do we write the bill that helps Charlottesville, but how do we write the bill that solves all of the community's challenges? Because there are little bits and pieces of Confederate history uh, and Jim Crow provisions littered all throughout the Virginia State Code. And so kind of tidying them up in a way that solves all the many problems um, is a, a more coordinated effort. There, there's more than 100 acts of the General Assembly, I think, that specifically authorize the erection of a monument. Um, and so it's it's kind of very careful and not so sexy work to to clean up the historical paper trail that would really give communities the right to decide what we celebrate.
0: Yeah. And so this is now on the docket of bills that will be considered. Mm-hmm. It will get assigned to some committee. Has it already? I guess no, not, not yet. Yeah. 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 Um, and then what?
3: Um, and then we talk about it. And I think this is going to be a really interesting opportunity for Democrats to show our colors, um, because the the local authority over Confederate monuments was a great example of a bill that was just dead on arrival under a Republican majority. The, you know, speaker would route it to a committee where he knew it would get killed. Um, I think last year the bill died on a, on a 6-2 vote. Um, but there were both Democrats, there were Democrats who voted for it and voted against it. And so there is not yet, I think, unanimous support for this measure even within the Democratic Party. Um, but it's also easier to take that vote as a Democrat when you know that there will be plenty of Republicans who are are really adding the the bulk of the votes. I think now with Democrats in the majority, people know that we have the opportunity to pass this legislation if we make it a priority. And so it's a little harder to cast that vote quietly if you're a Democrat. Um, For me, I think one of the most encouraging facts that that makes me think we've got a real solid shot at making progress here this session is that the, the governor has also voiced support for this measure. I think he's trying to do an awful a lot of work um, to to make right with Virginia's history and so having his support means a lot.
0: So the Speaker of the House, Eileen Fillercorn, has a lot of power as you just described.
3: Let's say you, you
0: take somebody like a, a Lee Carter introducing a, a bill to repeal right-to-work legislation that is um, making it then easier to form a union. That's definitely not universally loved by all Democrats and it's pretty much loathed by by the Republicans in the state. Um, what happens to that kind of bill?
3: We're going to see. That's a a great example of, I think, another another chance for Democrats to show our colors. Um, You know, the so here's here's another feature of the General Assembly that that we should know is that the the General Assembly is divided into committees. Um, I think that there are 14 standing committees Um, and each committee has 20 some odd people on it. But each committee then has subcommittees, which are like five to seven people. And subcommittees are where the real work of the General Assembly gets done. That's when you've got people who are going to meet for long enough and read things carefully and really kind of workshop and wordsmith. So the work gets done in groups of five to seven people. And then if they decide to support the bill and pass it up to their committee, the overwhelming share of bills that make it out of subcommittee will make it out of committee. You know, They'll do mm-hmm. some maybe continued refinement, um, but then if the committee refers it up to the full chamber, the vast majority of those bills pass. Like the work is done in the small group, and then everybody else says, okay, well, I'm trusting my colleagues who had a chance to do this really carefully. Um, and so if, it, if they gave it their stamp of approval, then it's, it's going to move on. And so that means that um, the act of persuasion becomes a real small numbers game. Suddenly it's not about getting 51 votes in a, body, in a body of 100. It's about getting three or four votes in a group of five to seven. And that has pros and cons. It means if you're a citizen advocate – you know, it's a smaller numbers game. There's a, only a handful of people that you need to talk to to get on board. Um but, yeah, that, but who the heck are they? Right, but who are they? One, they could be people who are scattered all over Virginia um, who may not be anywhere close to you, you know, may not know or care who you are because, you know, they don't represent you specifically in their district. Um, and it also means that the leadership can have convenient little pockets to tuck away bills that they don't want to deal with. So if, um, if you got a bill... If you're in the leadership and you've got a bill that you would like to see go quietly into the night, um, you can tuck it away in a subcommittee where you can trust that you've got the three or four votes to knock it down. Um, And so, again, I think we will learn an awful lot about the values that the current Democratic leadership is going to prioritize based on where they route bills. You know, you will in in many ways. Um, you can learn whether or not the speaker wants a bill to pass by where they assign it because they know going in whether or not it's got the votes to get out.
0: Sally Hudson is a member of the General Assembly representing House District 57. Thanks to her and all of our guests today, Peter Galaska and Graham Mumo. Special thanks to the Virginia Mercury, online at virginiamercury.org. Bold Dominion is online at bolddominion.org. Go ahead and subscribe. You know you want to. I will talk with you next week.